Skaters Network love hockey. At Skaters Network, you will find everything you need from top-end performance to budget-friendly deals to get you in the mix. They are the official Bauer distributor for Australia and carry the largest range of sizes and products. So next time you need an upgrade, give them a call or check them out at skatersnetwork.com.au. This week's guest is Glenn DeTulio, head coach of the Huntsville Havoc in the SBHL. Glenn transitioned from player to head coach with the team during the 2011-2012 season and is now entering his 10th season behind the bench as the team try to win their third championship in as many years. This is one of my favorite interviews so far as Glenn is a really down-to-earth guy who comes across as a coach that players want to play for and staffs want to work with. Please welcome Glenn DeTulio. Just because it's so current, like everything's changing, and, and the the game in minor hockey is changing drastically with the distancing measures and and the restrictions. Um, hopefully, not for too long. But can you take us what the day in the life of an SBHL coach is like now, as you're trying to build your team in a pandemic with all this uncertainty um, of start dates and everything else? Yeah, I mean, I think when this initially started in March. Um, you know, we decided that, you know, we had to cancel our season. I think in the back of our mind, everybody's thinking, all right, in a few months, you know, it'll probably be back to normal. We'll have a normal training camp. So really for us, like when the season ended, you know, there wasn't much you can do in March and April, but once, you know, May hit, it was back to normal. You're recruiting, you know, you're starting to build your team, you're, you're preparing. And I think as, you know, it became pretty obvious that we weren't going to start on time, um, to be honest with you, like the focus for us, here shifted completely on the business side of it. Like, how do we keep our open? You know, so I think, um, you know, minor pros, I think the lower level you go, the coaches are probably a little bit more involved in everything. And I think for us, you know, we have a small staff, um, you know, hockey ops staff. And right now, like, including, you know, myself and Stuart, who's my assistant coach, there's only two other people that are working in the office. Like, you know, we had to have some, some pretty tough layoffs because of, you know, when the season was cut for us, not only was the season cut, we had five home games scheduled that were for us, you know, and we're selling out and, and that's a huge chunk of our revenue. So when the season was canceled, we lost revenue and now you're refunding money for tickets, you're refunding season ticket holders, you're refunding sponsors. So it's a double whammy. No money's coming in and money's coming out. So I think for us, it's been like, what can we do in this off season to generate revenue that we normally wouldn't? Um, you know, we've got a golf tournament that we're going to, you know, that's uh, next Monday that we haven't had a golf tournament before. So we're working on that. We've got a free agent camp coming up. Um, we did some youth camps, like dry land youth camps. I'm just finding ways to, you know, keep ourselves relevant in the community, but also like, you know, every dollar that can come in right now is going to help. So, um, you know, apart from that, obviously we're still working on some things and um, we're still busy with hockey and you're still recruiting and um, you're still building towards your season, but we've got more time. And I think we've got to make sure that we're still here when the season starts. So I think it's just been all hands on deck um, in that sense of it. So a little bit different in off season for us, for sure. Yeah, it sounds like it, but uh, hopefully some good, you know, if everything goes back to normal sooner rather than later, hopefully some good initiatives come from that and things that can last long-term and just 
kind of catapult you guys further ahead in, in the future. Um, when it comes to coaching, you know, you're now what most would consider a, an experienced head coach. Is the job of coaching exactly what you thought it would be before you took it on? Uh, I would say probably not. In, in, a, in, in I think you probably would agree. I mean, I think for us, and listen, um, if you're coaching in the NHL, all you do is coach. If you're coaching the American League, all you do is coach. If you're coaching the ECHL, you're coaching, you're recruiting, you're you know, scheduling your bus, you're probably doing all those kind of things. And when you get to our level, it's that and everything else. I mean, we've got immigration to do. We're making sure the players have apartments. You're making sure they've got cable and internet. I mean, you go down the laundry list of things, um, you know, the hockey part's the fun part of it, you know? So um, if somebody's internet goes out on a Tuesday morning, they're coming to see the coaching staff to say, hey, my internet's not working. And it's something that you got to deal with. And I think as a player, when I played, you know, I come to the rink and, you know, I was there early and stayed late, but your snippet of what's going on is really at the rink and on the road and at games. And I don't think maybe you have a real appreciation um, how much time is, you know, a coach is, is, you know, having to spend on a lot of other things. And I think especially for us, like we want to make sure when a player comes here in Huntsville, they're blown away with how they're treated. So we want to make sure that anything that we can control is top notch. Right, like everybody has an equal salary cap, so everybody's playing on an even playing field. But above anything that we can do outside of that, that makes a player feel like this place is incredible. We want to do that, and some of that stuff isn't hockey related. And um, but I think it in, it helps on the hockey side when you're recruiting and you know players are talking to other players and you're trying to get players for the next season. So um, yeah, I think when you're playing, you're like, yeah, I'd love to be a coach one day and just come to the rink and coach. And, and then you realize that, you know, I think there's times it's maybe 50% coaching and 50% the other stuff. But, you know, most of that stuff, if you're prepared, you do it in the off season um, so that when the season starts, you can really focus on it. But there's always going to be some of it for sure that um, that isn't very glamorous or sexy. That's for sure. Yeah, that's I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that, um, yeah, it's really interesting. It, it's there's so much other things that go into it. And what I found as a coach is, Sometimes it's difficult early on, at least I found it difficult early on to keep that consistency because when you're delivering a message around, around hockey, you try to act in a certain way, show certain values. Now, like you said, if you're having to help a guy fix his internet, um, you can't completely change who you are because then you almost look like a bit of a fraud. So it yeah. it's, it's really is a full-time job, right? Yeah, it's, it's, I think it, that part of it is, um, you know, it can be challenging. I think from my, from my experience, I think the more prepared you are, you know, like there's time off season where it's slow and there's not a lot, you know, I, in some ways there's not a lot to do, but it's your opportunity in the summer, I think, to get so far ahead that when things are happening, you know, whether, you know, you have training camp and you've got, to me, it's like our training camp for two weeks, everything is ready months before the video we're going to show, what we're going to talk about in meetings. So all these different, so if something happens, the first day of training camp, I feel pretty comfortable that I can just, if I've got to run around and do something in my meetings in 15 minutes, I can get in there and I'm comfortable. My meeting's not going to be affected in a negative way because I'm prepared. And I took the time before I'm not like, I'm not flustered, I guess. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think it's, it's taking the time to prepare for the worst case scenario. And then when things happen, you can deal with it because the last thing you want to do, like you said, is you're telling players that you're going to treat them with respect and they're the number one priority 
and then something happens and then you're like, Hey, I don't got time for you. I got to do something else. Yeah. It doesn't work. Right. You got to make yeah. the time for them. But at the same time, when you're making the time for them, you also don't want to make, you know, you don't want it to affect the rest of the group or the message you're delivering. So um, it's just, it's time. You always got to, to me, there is no downtime in a lot of ways. Yeah. Yeah. Always something you can be doing. I guess if you were to look back uh, to the, to the start of your coaching career now in hindsight, what is something that you wish you did more of in preparing for your first coaching job? Yeah, I think um, that's a really, really good question. I, when you gave me that question, I was thinking about it. And um, I look back at some of the coaches that had like a really big influence on me. And I think, um, you know, they, kind of gave me the blueprint of like, man, I want to be a coach. But I think in hindsight, I would tell somebody, if you know at a young age that you want to get into coaching, I would have a notepad or I would have something that um, coaching is all experience. And as a player, if you've played, you've actually gone through a lot of these experiences you're going to go through as a, as a coach. Mm. Through so many, in so many years that when it comes there, like, can you recall that as a player? Maybe not. And it's sitting down and writing certain things like how a coach handled the situation, how a coach maybe handled dealing with a certain player, an unbelievable drill that you thought. I mean, there's mm. so many things I think back, man, is we used to do this drill. I remember I loved it and I can't put it together. <laughs> totally. I mean? Like I can't do it. And I think now with technology and video and all this stuff, it'd be so much easier to do it hundred um, percent. And I think, you know, I was always a really avid reader, but I would read different books. You know, like I think now as a coach, I'm reading books that I think benefit me. Um, I hopefully my coaching or at least, you know, give you a different insight on things. So I think if I would encourage players to read and um, when our players come here every year, they've got a book to read at the beginning of the year. Every player is given a book. They all have the same book. You know, do all of them read it? Probably not. Um, but, you know, it'll be on the mental part of the game or something that it's an easy read. But just uh, I think there's so much information that you can get you know, reading or, or whether it's, I mean, book or internet or however you want to do it or listening to podcasts. But I would say like, if you know, you want to coach is um, you can get a head start on all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's excellent. Look, when, when you started coaching in 2012, you, you made, you're another one of these coaches just made a huge jump going from, from playing right into being a coach and um, in the unique situation of, of the same organization is that, did that come from a long desire to coach on your end or was that just, was that just an opportunity that was presented? It was a bit of both. You know, when I came here, um, you know, when I, when I made the decision to come here with my family, we wanted a little bit of stability. So we came and, you know, played at a lower level. So we felt like we could be here for a couple of years because my kids were young. Um, and I initially signed here as a player assistant. So the, the goal was to come in here and to learn a little bit about the coaching um, just to get my feet wet, you know, in that regard. Um, you know, how it came about 100% unexpected. I mean, I, I think I was in a point in my life where if there was an opportunity, I was willing to take it. Um, I don't think I expected it to happen, you know, the way it happened. I mean, we played on a, we were on the road, I think it was a Wednesday night. Um, and it was one of those games, I think we had a, a good lead going in the third and, and the wheels fell off um, and we lost. And it was kind of like, we'd been going on a bit of a slide for a while. Um, and it was just one of those games in hindsight, it's not surprising how it all played out, but we got a call the leadership group from our owner saying, you know, it was Wednesday morning or Thursday morning said, Hey, can you come in the office? We want to have a meeting. No idea what's going on. You come in and the owner's like, Hey, we just relieved the coach of his head coaching duties. Can you guys run practice today? Um, 
you know, I was 34 or 33 or 34. And I think the next youngest guy or oldest guy was like 27. So I was an older guy in the team for sure. And we're like, yeah, we can run practice. You know, like we can do that. And, and you know, kind of was like, we're not sure if we're going to get an interim coach or what we're going to do. But if you guys can do this today, it'll give us a bit of time. And honestly, like when I left that room and, and during practice, like that's all I can think about. I'm like, man, like, I think I could try this, you know? So when practice was, I walked up and I said, Hey, like I'll stop playing and coach if, if you guys are interested, you know, like that's kind of how it came about. And wow. it was like, you know, we talked, you know, our owner said, we've talked about it. Um, we didn't want to ask you because we didn't want to force you to stop playing. I was like, I'm like, I'm ready. Like, I'll try it. Um, you know, called my wife and was like, uh, cause we had a game, I think the following day, I was like, uh, just so you know, tomorrow's my last game. I'm going to be coaching. She's like, what? what are you talking about? Um, so like, yeah, man, it was that quick. The next day I was in a track suit. I mean, running practice. Um, wow. so, um, it, it's crazy to think now that our owner, Keith, our owners, Keith and Jeffrey or Keith and Becky Jeffries, when I look at it now would say, this is my business. And really the business is what happens on the ice in a lot of ways. And I'm going to entrust you mm. um, to run this with no experience, you know? Yeah. And when you think about it now, like that's crazy. Like that just never happens. Yeah. Um, and really it was like, Hey, we'll give you till the end of this year and we'll just see what happens. And I was like, Hey, that's all I need. I don't, I mean, I'm not, I'm not asking for anything more. Um, we made the playoffs as the eighth seed, the last seed, and we, we beat the number one seed in the first round, major upset. And then that was kind of what got me the job from that point on. And then, um, then it just became trying to learn every day. I mean, it's, you know, it's easy to say, I want to coach one day. And then somebody gives you a whistle. Yeah. Now you got a coach and you're like, man, if I coach, this is what I would do. I would do this and I would do that. And then you get in front of 18 people and they're all looking at you. And all of a sudden you've got to say something really important. And you're like, man, this is, there's a lot more to it. So um, it was, it was sink or swim. It, you know, man, I, wouldn't, that's... I wouldn't trade it for any, any other way, but I can tell you there's probably easier ways to do it for sure. Absolutely. That's, that's such a, such a great and, and unique scenario. <clears throat> Did you, I, I guess, first of all, on hanging the skates up as a player, was that something you had in the back of your mind or were you just able to make that decision that no, this opportunity is better for me and, and, and I'm done playing. Cause a lot of people wrestle with that for some time. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, I'd played, I think it was my 11th year of pro hockey. Um, you know, I had two kids, and my wife was pregnant, I believe, um, or we had our third. I can't remember it around that time. And um, listen, I wanted to play forever. Like I loved it. Probably mm -hmm. played than most people should. <laughs> you know, like I, I I loved to play in the winter. I'd find whatever job in the summer to make ends meet so I could play in the winter. I just absolutely loved it. But I think in the back of my mind, I wanted to stay in hockey, right? Like I think, um, you know, everybody like if everybody. I feel like you're, you're an expert in something, right? Like if you go to school and you've got a degree, a law degree, like you're a lawyer, like that's your expertise. Well, I grew up in a rink. Like to me, that's my expertise. I, I've got a master's degree in hockey. So, you know, when the opportunity came, I was like, how many pro coaches are there in North America? Right. You got 30 in the NHL, you've got 30 in the American league, yeah. 20 in the ECHL. And then there's us, there's less than a hundred jobs. Mm -hmm. So, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm like, this is, I mean, this is the opportunity of a lifetime. And, and when I was in Kalamazoo a few years before, my best friend was my teammate and kind of did the exact same thing, except he, he went from playing to coaching the following year. So 
I had somebody to lean on, which was huge because he kind of did the same thing where he was coaching a lot of the same players that he played with. Um, so I had somebody to kind of bounce ideas because I think that was the first phone call. It's like, dude, I'm coaching now, but like, all right, what's next? <laughs> yeah. Right? Um, so that helped. I mean, having mentors and having people like that, I mean, that was huge. Especially Absolutely. exactly that. That was huge. Yeah. And, and okay, so you like, man, you do it mid-season with the same group of guys. I guess for that season and even the next season when you have some new guys coming in, did you find, did you have to reinvent yourself once you hung up the skates and became a full-time head coach? And what are the, some, some of the things you had to change in order to distinguish how you led the group? Or did you have to at all? Were you just the same, Glenn? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I mean, you got to make, you got to be yourself. You got to be authentic. Mm -hmm. You got to be you. You know, I was lucky because I was an older player and had played at a higher level my whole career. So I think when I came here, I had, you know, I earned the respect in the locker room. It, didn't, it just wasn't given to me. But I think I was always a prepared, took it serious. Um, so I think, like, getting the respect of the players wasn't difficult. You know, I think they knew that I understood the game and I was always trying to help the younger players. So I think that part, um, you know, it, it wasn't, it, I wouldn't say it wasn't challenging, but I didn't have to go in there and, and people, you know, thinking like, all right, what is, who is this new guy? You know, I think they were excited for me. I think they wanted to play well for me. And I think that's one of the reasons why um, we went on that run in the playoffs. I think they just, they wanted me to do well. You know, they were willing to, to do whatever because they respected me. Now, the challenging part was I had to make some really, really difficult decisions. You know, one of my um, teammates that sat beside me for 50 games, you know, we had to put our playoff roster together and we could only have X amount of guys in our playoff roster. And mm was able to make the decision. Do I have an extra forward or do I have an extra defenseman? And the forward was my friend that I played with. And the defenseman was somebody we brought in probably two weeks prior. And that was, a, that was, you know, what's the right decision hockey wise? What's the right, you know, you've got your heart and, you know, you've got your brain, all these different things and mm. um, made the really difficult decision at the time to not have my teammate that I was with on the playoff roster and went the other way. Um, and even to this day, like, I think back of some of the hardest decisions. Like, I think we might have both been in tears in the locker room. Like, it was really, really hard. Um, like, that was challenging because you've played together as teammates, which is totally different dynamic. Yeah. And <clears throat> you've had conversations as friends in that way. And all of a sudden, I'm, your, I'm the boss, and you've got to make a decision. And, you know, at that time, you're trying to make the best decision for the team. Um, selfishly, the team has to do well for me to keep the job. So, like, you've got all these yeah. things you're wrestling with, with zero experience, right? Like, I gave me the laptop to run video, and I didn't, like, I didn't even know how to put a game on it. I didn't know how to do anything. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, you think about all these different things. and Yeah, uh, yeah. So that part was, that, that was, that was a challenge. There's no question about that. Like, that was, that was really, that was really difficult. But, um, you know, I think you've got to learn, you know, I was a pretty soft-spoken player. You know, like a lead by example, like, you know, maybe when things need to be said, but never really like in your face and, and stuff. So I think when I was a player, most of my career, the coaches that used to coach in pro hockey were like those guys, like loud, boisterous, in your, call you out. Um, and that was never going to be me. But at the same time, you've got to be able to dress your team and feel comfortable speaking in front of a group, not letting your emotions take over. And I think that's an adjustment. I don't care what anybody says, like, you know, like addressing people um, in the heat of the moment 
and not letting that cloud your message. That's even hard now, to be honest with you. Mm. Um, but I had a coach when I was in Kalamazoo, uh, Mark Reeds, um, who, if there's any coach that probably had the biggest influence was probably Mark because he reminded me a lot of me in that sense where I don't know if he ever yelled at us and a really, really dry sense of humor, like witty. And he could like, he can say something pretty subtle and cut pretty deep, but he was a smaller guy didn't come in. He could just command the room. Everybody respected him. And I think more important, like people like, if you lost, you felt bad for him. You know what I mean? Like you felt yeah. like you him down and that to me, like that's magic. I, I didn't play for a lot of coaches like that, where it's like, you almost feel like you disappointed your dad. Yeah. And that's that difference of like the old school, like trying to motivate. And I think with Mark, it's like, it's inspiration versus motivation, you know? Mm. And, you know, so I think, you know, that was probably the one coach that I thought, you know what, I think I can do this. Like if I get an opportunity, like my personality, I think I can coach. And I think before that, I'm never, I'm not sure that I felt like I could come in a locker room without being that guy that just is that loud guy. And I think that's huge for me. And um, yeah, I mean, that, er that early success in that first round at least gives you a little bit of like, all right, I'm not a complete idiot. I think we can, <laughs> yeah. something weird. Um, but then I got, you know, you look, you look kind of through the years, like, you know, that following year, my first year full time, Another really tough decision where I had to, you know, release our captain at the time, but a player that I'd played with for two years because um, we just, it wasn't working. We wanted to play a certain way and it just wasn't working and we had to do something. And again, it's like, you're, it's hard to go to bed at night knowing you have to do that the following day. And it's just like, it's awful. Like mm. to me, like training camp, when you've got to make cuts to this day, like to, to, to go to bed at night, knowing that you've got to tell five or six players in the morning that, they're not going to make your team and, and really at this level, maybe their career is over. It's the worst feeling in the world. You know, yeah. it's awful. So in that first year, we went all the way to the finals, you know, like we kind of scratch and clawed and you go to the playoffs, eight seed, go all the way to the finals, lose in the deciding game. And again, you're thinking, you know what, like, all right, I'm, I'm starting to figure this out. And then two years later, we went 11 games, worst record SPHL history. I mean, just bottom of the barrel. you just like when you think you got to figure it out a little bit, <laughs> yeah, get a little bit of humble pie. And it was like, probably, you know, probably what I needed and in hindsight, I probably learned more that year than any other year, but uh -huh. um, you know, it was, it, there was a lot of really, really difficult lessons early on still learning, but some really tough ones early on. Yeah. Well, so much good stuff there. And, and like you said, like success is such a moving target. As soon as you think you got it, you know, the, the goalposts change a little bit. But and I think that's, I love what you said there about those relationships and cutting players. Cause we all know as a player, I know when I was younger, you, you, you're either cut yourself or you see guys get cut and you forget how tough that is for the coach. Um, you think almost like, oh, that, you know, they didn't want me here. That was easy. But I don't think um, there's ever, ever an, an easy cut, even if it's a guy that, that you want to get out the door, right? Because, um, you're kind of ending a, a, a dream or, or a hope for a person. So it's, it's difficult, um, but I think you handle it really well. And there's a lot of good stuff there. You, going back to your previous coaches, you have a really impressive resume as a player, putting up kind of big numbers everywhere you've played. Is that something when you think back that was coached into you or, or purely kind of natural creativity? Do you, do you think coaches coaching had an effect on you in that way? Um. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing, I, you know, when, when you gave me that question, another really, really good question, because 
Um, I think for me, the biggest thing, like I, I think back when I was growing up and playing, um, I had a coach in Adam, Bert St. Amour, who was the rink manager. And we would practice at seven o'clock on, on Saturday mornings, but he'd open the rink at six, right? So the door was open at six and he had an hour to do whatever he wanted. And um, I think back to that and he made, and even my dad was my first coach the years before that. But I look back and they made hockey so much fun that like, I would get up at six, you know, whatever time, 5.45 in the morning myself to make sure we got to the rink. So I get that extra hour in, you know, and it's unstructured, you know, like the door's unlocked. Mm. And then at that point on, like even all the way through high school, whenever we had a snow day or had a day off from school, I would always call Bert and be like, you know, he'd like, yeah, come on the ice. And he'd give me an hour of ice, you know, and he'd be like 20 bucks a guy, but he'd never collect, you know, and it'd be <laughs> like three guys or as I got older, there was less people that would come on, but it was like, Whenever there was a day off, it was always there, you know? So, you know, did he coach the offensive side per se? I wouldn't say, but he made, I think he lit a fire. That's like, I just loved it. Couldn't get enough of it. Spent, you know, when I got home from school, I was playing road hockey with my, my best buddy. You know, he was a goalie. I was out, you'd go for 10 goals and you'd switch. You do that till the lights came on, you know, like it was just nonstop. So I think, um, so in a roundabout way, having coaches at a young age that just made you want to come to the rink. Yeah. That's the most important thing for young kids is, and I know it's hard because I think youth coaches, especially North America, a lot of them get paid now. So there's a bit of a, a job component to it. Mm. And I feel like that means, I think it turns into wins and losses, but I think at a young age, your, your number one responsibility needs to be, does that player want to come to the, is he excited to go to practice? If I say, Hey, you know, Timmy, I got, we got practice at five o'clock. We got to go. And he's already like, I'm ready to go. Like to me, that's your job for youth, youth players, hundred percent. Yeah. Cause when they start to, you know, they go in their backyard and start shooting pucks on their own. They're going to get 10 times better than if you tell them to shoot 10 pucks because they're engaged in what they're doing because they want to do it. Yeah. I think at a young age, if you're trying to win games, which means play systems, I don't remember a system till I was, in high school, to be honest with you. I really don't yeah. No, And maybe there was some, but I mean, I don't remember that, you know, and I watch some of it now and it's like some coaches last like, what do you guys do for breakouts? It's like, we're pro hockey players. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. It's not the same. Like you don't do, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be asking that. You know what I yeah. mean? It's in that sense. So um, that part of it is, that part of it's wild, you know, to be honest yeah. with you. Yeah. So I guess going back to your career then, you know, whether it was junior or pro, can you recall a time where, <clears throat> where your coach either encouraged or perhaps more stifled your ability to produce offense? Yeah, I think when I got into, you know, I think when I got into pro hockey, um, like I took a, like my route was pretty, I wouldn't say very normal in that sense. Like, you know, I, I, I played, you know, junior hockey and then um, phone didn't ring for many NCAA schools. So I ended up playing at Iowa State, which was club hockey, which at the time is, I mean, anybody can try out basically. So the level of hockey, um, it's, it's really good now. But at that time it was hit or miss. I mean, you're talking 10 good teams in the country and it was kind of like, you'd still have some games that were like 15-1, you know what I mean? Like right, it, was, right. it was a really big discrepancy in like in, in ability. So when I left there, and I went to play in Europe, like, 
to me was like, I went from here to like a, a level here. Like I went to Norway and I was playing with, um, you know, guys that were in their late, you know, late twenties, early thirties and had played in the top leagues in Finland and Sweden and all this stuff. And I just come from playing three years of club hockey and did really well. But I mean, it was a huge jump and gap. And I think when I look back at, at those two years, I think when I played at Iowa State, like I always had the green light to do whatever I wanted in the sense of like, I had the puck on my stick a lot. And if I made mistakes, I could outwork it or, you know, I'm, they scored on me. We'll probably get two anyways. And, you know, I think when I went to, you know, when I went to Norway, we had a, you know, I wouldn't say a hard coach, but, you know, a very like structured coach. And I think it was an adjustment for me for sure. You know, like just, you know, all of a sudden now it's um, not only are you going from North America to Europe, but it's like, you're used to, you know, just making plays like almost intuitive to like against pro hockey players at a high level. Like those are turnovers. Like you can't just make a behind the back pass. Right. Like you do it 10 times and it works twice. Well, that doesn't work at that level because the other eight times it's an odd man rush. Yeah. Oh, so I wouldn't say it stifled my creativity. I had to learn to like, that I just like, it's when and where, and like, that was an adjustment. Um, and I think the year I came back from, from Europe, I went to, uh, I played for the uh, Missouri River Otters was a lockout year. And that league was pretty stacked. Like at one point we had, I think four or five of the blues playing for us um, because, you know, they weren't playing. And I remember that year and it was a really good learning lesson for me now as a coach was like, I went there and had a pretty good start offensively, but um, I kind of got pigeonholed a little bit of like, he's a third line centerman. And, you know, I'd come from Europe by the end of it, I'd done pretty well offensively in Europe. And then, you know, obviously there was some depth stuff in, in Missouri where it was hard to like play over guys, but like when there was injury call-ups, I was never getting, I don't think I touched the power play all year. I think I scored five goals in 80 games. Like, you know, from, it, it was great learning because I had to learn a whole different part of the game and appreciate it. Um, but I think that coach had in his mind, like that's the player that I was. And I never got the opportunity to show that I could do more. And I think as a coach now, I think when players come in, you know, I'm guilty of it sometimes too, um, but it's always saying like, all right, I'm gonna give this opportunity to, you know, to a player to show me that he can't do it. Instead of maybe predetermining that, hey, like he might have to earn his opportunity in the power play. It's not gonna be given to him, but I think he he's gonna get it. At some point he's gonna get it. And it's not just gonna be a token opportunity. Like we're gonna give him a legitimate opportunity and then, hey, it's pro hockey. Like, can you do it or not? That's up to you. Um, but I really try to, like, just not pigeonhole a player um, because he's really good at something, you know. And, and I think that was a good lesson for me because it was a long year. Like, in my mind, I'm like, I can do more for this team. Like, I think I can help more. And I wasn't really given the opportunity. So, um, so it was yeah. good. It was a good learning lesson. For sure. I think that's so true, right? Like, players can get – you know, pissed off if they think they're not getting the opportunity. But when you can give them the opportunity and, and it doesn't work and then show them that on video or it almost takes the pressure off you as a coach, right? Because it's like, hey, you can see here, like you, 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 we tried it, it didn't work. Or now you can see what you have to do to make it work next time. Now go do the work. Um, but yeah. it's, it's when coaches try to just predict that thinking, ah, yeah, it won't work. I'm not going to give you that chance. I think that's what really irks players and creates a bit of a riff, right? Yeah, it's tough. You know, and I think, like, you know, with a player too, like, you know, for us, like, we've got a pretty good group of guys and, like, we're a pretty talented team. So when a new player comes in, 
for me, like I know this player is an offensive player and, and he might've been an offensive player in college, but to me, like he needs to understand when he comes here, like it's just not happening. Like, you know, you don't just get put on the half wall running the power play of pro hockey because you did it in college. Like you've got to earn it mm. and you've got to do other things really well. It's not, you know, like a one dimensional player to me, um, they've got to be so good in that one area for them to be worth it. But there's certain parts of the game for us that just aren't, they're non-negotiables. And Hey, if you're committed to doing those and trying, you don't have to be perfect at it, but you've got to do certain things. There's certain standards that you have to do, and then you'll get the opportunity, but you're not just going to walk through the door and bypass the guys that have done it and have gone through those steps and have proven that they can do it just because, you know, you were a point of game guy last year, you know, in college, everybody in my locker room was the best player on their team in college. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah. that's the reality. Of it. So I think you've got to find a way of like, Hey, there's a legitimate opportunity, but you got to earn it. You know, yeah. it's not like a, it's like a, you know, they get their roll in their eyes. Like I'll never be, I, I'm just, he's just telling me that like, they've got to understand like, Hey, there's an opportunity there, but you know, you've got to take it from somebody. It's, it's a, it's a man's game. So. Mm. Between yourself and your assistant coach, Stuart, you guys both, like I said, you've both put up numbers and, and played in offensive roles and produced, which means playing on the power play, which is such a big part of, of teams winning or losing games. How much of an advantage is this for coaches? Like for your team compared to other coaches, uh, other teams, sorry, who perhaps have coaches who didn't actually play in those situations. Um, I'm not saying it's necessary. There's a lot of great coaches that never even played the game at a high level, but do you find it's a, a big advantage for your team having two guys that have, have been in the player's shoes and, and kind of walk through, through those motions on special teams, for example. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think it helps. I think a big part of it is, you know, as a coaching staff, like how do we want to play? Right. And I think there's some you'll play, you watch in the playoffs, like you watch some teams that, Hey, like a team like the Islanders are going to be very opp opportunistic, but they're, they're going to be, they're going to, you know, really be compact in the D zone and they're okay with defending for long periods of time, waiting for their opportunity. And that wins. And that's fine. Um, Stu and I and, and the coaches just prior, like I, I wanted to coach a team the way that I would want to play. Like I want to sit back and, and, you know, I was an aggressive player. I wanted to score goals. So everything that we do, um, that that's the carrot, you know, like we defend, like, listen, it's not like we don't talk about defending mm. all to defend is to get the puck back to score. Like that's what I'm selling on my players. Like, the harder we defend and the faster we get the puck back, the quicker we get a chance to go on offense and score. Mm. You know, my forward, like when I'm, you know, everybody wants their players to track back or back check and all those things. And, you know, everybody's preaching those things, but, you know, we sell it on, Hey, if you lose the puck and you work back to get it, now you have the puck to go back and score. Mm. The thing that we talk about is we do this so that we can score more goals. And, you know, we have the conversation that doesn't mean we don't care about playing defense and it doesn't mean that defense isn't important, but the purpose for it isn't. So the other team doesn't score. It's so that we get the puck back and we score. And I think that's just a mindset on how you, how you talk on things. And of course, like when you're talking power play or just, you know, like I was a centerman, you know, we for running different face-off plays, but I can really dive in with this centerman and say, Hey, like I took a million face-offs. Here's some tricks that work. If it's not working, Here's some things, you know, I know that worked for me. You know, Stu played forward for a bit of his career, then he became a defenseman for us. So he kind of kind of did both, and he was obviously an offensive defenseman for us. So, I mean, he can have conversations with the defenseman, like, hey, like, 
this is something that I did. You know, this is a read that, you know, if I saw this, this was a read that I made and there's an opportunity, there's a pocket right there where you can be open for a shot or, or however you want to, you want to word it. Mm -hmm. uh, small little details and habits of like, you know, if when I'm talking to, you know, our defenseman, I'm talking to him, like, if you're taking a two on one and I'm the forward with the puck, I can tell you what bugs me that a defenseman does, right? Like mm -hmm. defenseman does this with a stick or if he's doing this as a forward, like that makes the play really hard. So you're teaching defense through the eyes of an offensive player. So, you know, like I think those are areas maybe where like as a player, I can just relate like this is how I saw things. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but maybe it's a different perspective. Yeah. You know, there comes off the ice and, um, you know, maybe you're like, you know, I don't know if you saw that or when you see video, you know, like the way that I saw the game, there might be a little slip pass here. I don't know, whatever you want to call it. And, hmm. um, you know, maybe playing – it's, it, it helps in the sense that like when you watch a video from like that perspective, sometimes you're like, oh, why don't they just make that play? It's easy. You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Open. But I think when you've played, you know that there's a, there's a one player in a million that can make that play. You know, mm -hmm. I think there's maybe sometimes like as a player, you have a little bit of an advantage of saying, Hey, a guy makes a mistake. You're like, he was trying to make the right play. I know what he was trying to do. Their guy knocked it out of the air it is what it is. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe there's some advantage there, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think I think definitely, and like you said, that it's kind of like how fans see it, right? They sit up high, they're watching, and it's like ah, like that giveaway was bad. But but putting yourself in the player's shoes, you you know what that pressure feels like going back for a puck, or or you know being in a certain spot, and it's like ah, you know what, that's a very tough play to make. You kind of there's more pressure there than than a fan realizes, or often some coaches realize who who haven't kind of walked in the shoes. So. Talking to the current game, I guess, it's always in a constant state of change. Tactically, what are some of the popular kind of new age team tactics that have become commonplace uh, amongst successful teams in the SPHL recently? And I would say, I don't know if it's how recently it is. I mean, you know, the one three one power play. I mean, I think that's mm -hmm. gotten pretty common now where everybody's running a variation of it or, you know, really using the bumper guy a lot more than you know, say three, four years ago, I think like that part of the game um, has evolved, like power play breakouts with the drop pass. I think that's mm -hmm. become, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, one or two teams were doing it. And I think all that stuff's becoming more common. Um, like we were talking about, like you watch like the Islanders or Columbus and their D zone, how they pack it in tight. Um, you know, I think that's become a bit more common. I think there's some teams that always did some version of that, but um, you know, I think, you know, just things like that. I mean, it's a copycat league here, um, really everywhere. You know, yeah. like you watch now, you watch like Tampa Bay and, and Toronto and they're running the, you know, the three high in the offensive zone where, you know, they've got a forward pulled out almost as high as the, the two defensemen and they've really kind of stretched in the zone. You know, I would imagine that a lot of teams are going to try something like that because with all this time, I mean, everybody's watching hockey and, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm sure that, that's a big, but I think that's the, the silver lining with this pandemic is, you know, there's an opportunity to really dive in and, and, you know, whether it's analytics or video and see if there's things you can do differently or better, or, you know, and really watch things in a, in a different way. So I think, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how some coaches come out this year, if they're doing things differently or they just kind of stay with what they do. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, it, it goes in waves, right? Particularly like you mentioned that, that um, power play breakout with the drop. I found that was probably the most distinct thing where even when I'd kind of travel around and talk to people, um, 
coaches and the not coaches where everyone, oh, everyone's doing that drop, drop breakout now. They didn't really, some people didn't really get it, but it was so distinct that, yeah, it becomes yeah. trendy, it becomes popular. And I find even players, even if they don't fully understand it, they want to do that. I've worked with young players like, hey, can we try that, that drop on the, on the breakout? It's like, well, maybe we don't need to do it. Or, but if that's what they want to do, we'll try it. But yeah, it's definitely trendy. Um, you tend to, you guys move a lot of players on to the ECHL. Um, and though the, to me, the gap has closed a lot between the SPHL and the ECHL. I guess when you talk about players making the jump to the next level, what, did they, what do players need to do in the SPHL if they want to land in the ECHL? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, with, you know, there used to be like the Central League and the ECHL and less teams. So I think obviously um, there's more players that maybe, you know, five, six years ago, if you called, they wouldn't even, you know what I mean? They weren't interested in playing our league. And all of a sudden it's like, okay, we're a legitimate stepping stone. If you want to play pro hockey, you're going to have to start here. And I tell a lot of guys I talk to in the summer where, you know, they, you know, they, they're, they're worried about starting the SPHL, you know, and I try to tell them like, when you go to training camp in the ECHL, the NHL's healthy, the American League's healthy, everybody's healthy. So there's an abundance of players at that time. So when everybody pushes down their players, a lot of times you're going to have to start in the SPHL. Like it is what it is, right? But, you know, in a month later or a month and a half later when there's injuries, it all goes the other way. But now when you're getting called up, you're getting called up to play because they're legitimately short. You're not getting called up to be, you know, like a healthy scratch. Like they're calling because like they've got two guys injured, two guys called up. They've only got nine forwards right now. They need somebody to come and play. Right, yeah. That's your, that's your real opportunity a lot more times than it is in training camp. Mm. And, and it's not as sexy maybe like, well, um, you know, like there's, there's always going to be like, you know, the, the ego thing of like, well, it's the ECHL versus the SPHL and I get that. But, um, you know, you come here and play well, you're going to get a call. Now, I tell them all the time, like your job here is you have to re realize like when you get called up to the ECHL, you're going to be the extra guy. Like you're the ninth or 10th forward. You're probably not going to be in the power play. You might get on the penalty kill. And this doesn't matter if you're an offensive player or you're more of a mucker grinder, whatever it is. Like your opportunity when you get up there is not, you're not going to be running the power play in the ECHL getting called up from us. Not happening. Mm. Right. So when you get called up, your sole responsibility is to earn the coach's trust. And if that's five shifts or 10 shifts or one shift, you've got to make, he's got to look over and say, I trust putting this guy on the ice. So you earn trust by doing, you know, if you're a winger is making sure on the half wall, the pucks get out, that you're, you're, you're strong on pucks. You have good sticks, like all these different habits and details that, um, you know, make you noticeable. Like coaches appreciate, like, again, they're not sexy. And if you're in the upper deck, but a coach sees a player like angles really well, has a good stick, creates turnovers. If the puck comes to him, he makes the right decision. You know what I mean? All those different things. And then you're like, oh man, you know what? Like I could, you know, like somebody else is in the box for a five minute fighting major. You know what? I'll give this guy a bump up on the second line because I trust him out there. All right. Now you're playing with a little bit better players. And now you might get looks offensively, which you have the ability to do that. And maybe that's your opportunity where now you score a goal and it's like, oh man, like he's got a little bit of that in him. And then you stick around. Your, your job's to find a way to stick around. Yeah. So I think here we're really big on those kind of things. Like I don't care if you're a leading goal scorer or you're a rookie for us. Like there's certain parts of our game that we focus on, we harp on, right? Like we want our guys to be creative. 
But if they turn a puck over, we expect them to stop and blow snow and track that puck. And I don't care if you're the leading scorer or not, that's what we do because, you know, A, you'll get the puck back most times. I think you'll outwork your mistake. But those are the habits that you need to be at the next level. Like everybody does that. Do you stop in front of the net or do you fly by in front of the net? Right? Like those are all things that are, you know, somebody can say, yeah, 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 I know I need to do that. But unless it's like ingrained and becomes a habit, you, you don't necessarily always do it. So we preach those things. And then it's like, all right, when you do get the call, I don't want to see you come back. Like, you know, your job is to find a way to stick there. And it's, and it's not going to be going up there and being a sexy player that toe drags somebody at the blue line. Not, not the first couple of games anyways. <laughs> yeah. I like that. It's great advice for players at, at that level and, and any level, right? Making those details become habits so that when you get that opportunity, you're not trying to flick a switch on. It's just ingrained in your game and, and you can win a coach's trust, like you said. Um, I guess from your time in junior hockey and, and college hockey, um, do you think overall coaches are doing a good job preparing players for pro hockey? And, and in your role now, I guess, what does preparing for pro hockey look like to a young player? Yeah, that's, that's a real, I was thinking about that question a lot too when you said that to me. That's a, that's a tough one because um, I think players are 100% more skilled now. I mean, I think the skill of players is through the roof. Mm. And I think there's times where um, there's a discrepancy between, I guess I would say like hard skill, hard skill and soft skill. You know what I mean? Like, I think they can stick handle in a phone booth on the outside, you know, like, can they, can they put themselves in a position to score goals? Like, you know, if it's a three on two and they can make a great play in a three on two, but you know, all of a sudden it's one of those games where it's really congested Can that same player find ways to create some offense where there isn't that opportunity where there's time and space, you know, and I think part of it is, um, there's probably less um, ability as younger kids, I think, to be creative. I think ice time is really expensive. So there's probably less almost like free time where they can just figure it out, right? Like figure out solutions on their own. Mm. Um, I think like, like I was telling you, there's a focus at a young age on, I think, on winning sometimes. So you're teaching like a young defenseman to get it off the glass and out. So, you, you know, so you don't get bored on. Well, I can teach a guy in five minutes how to go glassing out. I can't teach yeah. that guy how to hit the middle guy that's a little two-foot pass kind of in a little pocket that's, you know what I mean? Like yeah. a slip pass that's, that's high end. You got to learn that as a kid. So all those little plays, if you watch NHL players, they're not all the fastest players and the most skilled players. They make all these little plays and they're, they rave about them on all the time. Like, do you see that little play? Did you see that? Mm. And they didn't learn that. I don't think they learned that at 20 years old, you know, they had, you know, they, they learned to solve problems because that's what it is. I mean, systems are black and white, but hockey's gray. Mm. Mm. You can tell guys to go here and there. It doesn't always work out perfect. So within that, you've got to be able to think for yourself. So I think for us, like we, we still do a ton of small area games, like a ton of small area games, even up, even at the pro level. I think the big reason is it's fun it's competitive. Like I think getting guys to get after it is like really, really, really important. Yeah. Um, but it's, but a lot of it is there's like a loose structure, but there's, there's play involved. Like you have to, 
you have to create two on ones and you have to create some some space or whatever it is. So I don't know, like that's a good question as far as like our you know, are they teaching are they teaching hockey IQ or are they teaching just because I think you can teach hockey IQ to a certain extent, but are they you know, has the focus gone too much on just skill? I don't know, skill and systems, a lot of systems for kids and you know, like systems are I mean there's every team in the NHL to a certain degree, you looked at that are in the final four that were in the final four playing kind of different systems onto mm. the same place. So it's not like one system is better than the other or is perfect, but it's, mm. it's what are those like things that those guys do within the system that make it work? Like, you know, that's, you know, so I don't know, are, are kids being taught enough of that stuff? Like I, I'm not around youth hockey probably enough to know that. You know, I can say that players are a lot more skilled, but there's times where um, resiliency maybe isn't as what it should be. Like that dealing with mm -hmm. when things aren't going well, you know, like pro hockey, if you're, if you're a first year player coming in and you were the best player in your college team, and you come here and it's hard and you're trying to carve your path and it's, it's goals aren't coming easy and you're not getting the recognition you're used to. Like, can you fight through it or are you, is that too mentally difficult? Like I've, I've had it easy my whole life. I've always, you know, like I played on this team, coach was hard on me. So my parents moved me to another team, yeah. or, you know, like I'm not having a good season here. So I went to a different program, you know, like, are you giving kids an opportunity to like fight through adversity, get to the other side, see that they can do it because those are the players that make it in pro hockey. The other ones mm. can see it right away. I mean, it's, you know, you can, you have a practice and you're like, this kid's phenomenal. And then you put in a situation where there's some stress and there's something on the line and it's just like different players. So yeah, it's uh, that's, that's a question you can, you can talk about for a long time with a bunch of people and probably a whole bunch of different opinions. Totally. Totally. Well, that's and there's some great advice for players and coaches there. Um, look, I just have a few quick hitters to finish, I guess. If you could go back and, and think about, um, what, what's either your first or most memorable, memorable kind of welcome to coaching moment from your career? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's probably like for me, it was probably that first practice that I had. I just remember like the day before, and I, and I was lucky. So when I took over coaching, I think it was a Wednesday morning, but we had a Thursday game. And I just said like, I'd love to play that game, my last game, knowing it's my last game you know, for my, so my wife could go and stuff. So my, our actual owner went behind the bench that game. And I was kind of like, you know, I was like, you know, coach, like almost like Reg Dunlop, or I was like, he was just there as a token. Yeah. I was able to play that last game, you know, so, um, which was really, really cool. Not many people ever play in minor pro hockey, their last game, no one's their last game. Like, listen, the phone usually doesn't ring. Like your career's over. Like you, you quit because you find a job or the phone doesn't ring and nobody wants you and you're done. Right. So um, that was pretty special, but I remember just like jumping on the ice with the tracksuit and the whistle and then having to draw the first drill. And I think like, I'm not even sure the lines were straight. It was like, ah, and it's like, where do I stand? Can they hear me? Like all yeah. those like, to me, that was like, you know, welcome to, you know, you wanted, you wanted this, here it is, you know? So I remember that one. And, um, you know, I think probably the, you know, early on, you probably have a couple snap outs at the referee or something like that, you know, and somebody's got a picture of it and you see the picture of it and you're like, oh my God, like, that's what I look like when I'm, 
like I'm on I'm on the bench like I'm supposed to be like you know the coach and you're supposed to be you know calm or whatever or whatever so so I guess some of those kind of things are pretty funny when you look back that's awesome um tactically uh, another one for you is is you know going back in time a little bit here but you're playing against the 2011 Tampa Bay Lightning who are running their their kind of high one three one neutral zone very sleepy. If you had to make an adjustment on the, the fly to your team to, to penetrate that and get some offense um, without having to practice it, I guess, what would you go to to, to beat that um, kind of static 1-3-1 one, one in the neutral zone? Yeah, I, th- I think there's probably two ways um, that I would probably approach it. I think the first way would be anytime there's a, basically a touch in the neutral zone, like it's to move it faster than they can set up in it, right? So you get it, there's no D to D. I mean, you're just going right up. And if your forwards are leaving the zone, they're really, they're really just tagging up, getting their stick available. You're getting that puck, you're zipping it. It's a chip and you're going after it, right? So you're trying to, you're trying to move it faster than they can get into position. And I think that's probably, um, that's probably a way that you'll be successful part of the time. Now, if the puck's dumped out and there's a line change, obviously they're going to be able to set up. And I think for us, again, something like that, I'd bring everybody back and almost run like a power play breakout where you've got two guys swinging on both sides with speed. Mm. Pass is beating the first guy to one of your inside guys. And then it just becomes chips. to speed. You're just trying to create two on ones up the ice. Right? They're just trying to attack with speed. And um, you know that if you can get it into the blue line and you've got two guys going on the far side, you just got to get it to the weak side of the net and you should at least get on the four check. And I mean, really, when you're trying to get through neutral zone four check, if you can get it, you know, possession of the puck in the offensive zone, that's a win. I mean, get an opportunity off the rush. I mean, that's, that's you know, one in a hundred. But if you can get in zone and get possession and get some ozone time, and I think to me that's probably the two ways that I would try at least, you know, at least initially and see where it goes. Yeah, yeah that's great. Um, last one for you, coaching attire on the bench. Uh, hockey's a very traditional game in that sense. We're seeing actually in the bubble this year, a lot of teams mixing it up and, and a lot of people are talking about it. Do you prefer the traditional suit and tie or is it time we mix it up as coaches? Yeah, I think when I, when I took over coach, I think the first thing I asked my owner was, can I wear a hat on the bench? <laughs> and so I wear one of these or a fedora every yep. game all the time. Um, I have for the last, whatever it is, eight or nine years. Um, a lot of times I'll just wear a vest and tie, no jacket. I mean, I always have a tie and I'm always dressed up, but yeah, um, you know, I try to mix it up and, and listen, we have a lot of fun here too. And, you know, when we've got, you know, we do all those themed jerseys, right? So on Christmas, it'll be like a Christmas jersey. I've done the like Christmas suit head to toe. (laughs) You know, because like, listen, the hockey is the hockey, right? Like we're prepared, we're going to play, you know, the coaches, the the players know just because I'm wearing that suit, it doesn't mean I'm not any less serious with what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. The entertainment business, we're here to sell tickets, like tickets paid for my salary, for the player's salary. I mean, it's, it's how the business works. So Mm. I'm, when it comes to that kind of stuff, there's pictures of wearing the most ridiculous things. Um, we have auctions after the game. On those games there, we'll have auctions for those jerseys. We'll raise fifty, sixty thousand dollars in a night for charity. Um, I've ended up like holding my suit coat that were auctioned off, and I've got I'm just in my underwear, man. Like whatever, t- <laughs> to raise money um, by all means. And I think you know we've got a pretty good mature group of guys. And we explained that at the beginning of the year, like listen, we're going to do certain things because the fans this is what it is. And, um, you know, we're really big on that. And that was something that was explained to me early on too, is like, Hey, it's a business. Like that 11 years, that, that season, we only won 11 games. 
first of all, like I'm just so appreciative I didn't get fired, which was a miracle. Um, but actually, like our attendance went up that year, which is crazy. Uh, yeah. So when you're in Alabama, which is like a non-traditional hockey market, I think what people outside maybe don't realize is like like people are coming to get entertained, and it's like going to the movies. I buy my ticket, I watch, I go to the movie, I enjoy it, I go home. Um, they, a lot of people probably don't know who we played or what the standings are. You've got your core people that love it. And other people are just like, man, that was awesome. Mm -hmm. like, I had a great time. I'm going back again. It's that simple. And so I think we understand that, you know, with us, like, listen, we're going to put the best product as we can on the ice. We want to play an exciting style because that helps, right? Like if we're going to play a one, three, one in the neutral zone, maybe that wins us a few more games, but like, that's not what fans want to see. Mm -hmm. I see guys getting after it my opinion. So I think we're step, you know, we're, we're kind of on the same page with our, with upstairs on how we want to do things. Um, and I think having a little bit of personality behind the bench, it's just, I mean, it's just wearing something differently. What's it really matter? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, totally. Totally. You gotta look good though. Like, don't get me wrong. You can't like, like, you know, Torrell looked sharp, right? Like it looked yeah. good. It wasn't like he was wearing like a, you know, like a fleece, you know, three quarter zip and a baseball cap. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, it looked, looked professional. Really yeah, and everybody, yeah. everybody looked like they all were matching. It looked sharp, man. I loved it. I think it's great. Yeah, that's oh, awesome. Well, look, Glenn, there's plenty there. Um, I, I think our coach is really going to love this. Uh, I enjoyed it. I really thank you for your time. You know, to for you to take lots to do, particularly at this time of year. Um, so I appreciate you taking the time, and uh, all the best for your season. Hopefully, it, it goes off without a hitch. Hopefully, you guys don't lose too many teams or whatever. And, and hopefully we get back to normal sooner rather than later. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, man. This was great for sure. Appreciate it.